Welcome to Rough Draft, the podcast about young journalists, brought to you by young journalists. I'm Jamie McCarn, and today I'll be talking about getting a start in the industry with Brendan Fernando Kelly Palenque and Gabia Gatavechgeta. How are you guys doing? I'm doing well, thanks. Good, thank you for having us. Good to hear. So you're both DCU journalism graduates, but do you want to introduce yourselves maybe in a bit more detail? Um, we can start with you, Gabia, if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. So I uh, did the BA in journalism at DCU from 2016 and I graduated last year. Um, I was heavily involved with the College View, uh, specifically in my final year when I was features editor and deputy editor. And um, I went on to, I was a freelancer with Irish with the Irish Independent all throughout final year. And um, in May of last year, when we did our intros, I I got my internship with the with the independent and that's where I've stayed um since then so I've been I've been full-time with them ever since ever since the intro internship which is kind of how I got my foot in the door in, ter- in terms of uh, full-time work great and Brendan what's your story um well I'm so much to Gabby you know I also did the BA journalism DCU except I did the the year below her um so I only graduated this year um and yeah, I was heavily involved in college as well. So I was the deputy news editor when I was in the second year, and then I was the editor chief in my final year. Um, and throughout my final year, I mainly worked uh, with uh, GCN, which is like a small publication here in Dublin. Um, and during the we had elections in 2020, and that's when I first did anything for the Indo. Um, and then it was later this year that I got offered an internship there back in September. And since then, I've just kind of been working away. Great. So you both mentioned the College View. Did you, do you guys think you learned a lot from your time there uh, that helped you like later on your, you know, your work? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a, you know, I think the, I think student newspapers are normally the first point of a real life newspaper experience and a newsroom experience for um, a lot of the journalists. Um, I, I did some work with regional papers, but it was great to be kind of thrown into the deep end, specifically in final year when it became um, almost like a full-time job for me. Um, you know, you're dealing with stressed writers, you're dealing with, you know, defamation, libel, you're dealing with sources, you're writing your own articles, you're editing, you know, stories. So you're both a journalist and an editor, and it's all a lot of responsibility, and you are in the deep end, but... It really, I suppose, taught me a lot about the inner workings of the newsroom, you know, relationships, the relationships that you have with, um, you know, journalists, your fellow editors, um, and just really, I suppose, what it takes to actually make a newspaper, because I don't think a lot of journalists sometimes really realize, you know, from the printing and, and the, you know, all the inner workings, unless you work for a smaller newspaper, like a regional or a student publication, perhaps, but you know, a reporter, like, for example, with my job now, you know, I definitely don't proofread pages or, or, or know too much about the inner workings of, you know, um, sending off the paper very late to the printers, you know, how that works. But it's good. So it's good to have that additional insight, I would say, and, and you know, to really learn about what really goes on and how, what it actually takes to produce a newspaper. Yeah, brilliant. I'd say so. And Brendan, your time as editor in chief, that must have been a bit of a handful. Like, how did you find that? Yeah, I mean, I would agree with a lot of what Gabby said there as well, that there's just, um, I think it's a great 
a learning experience more than anything because if you do make mistakes like obviously it's on such a smaller scale to a certain extent that there is that room to kind of improve and okay you, you made a mistake but at the end of the day there's not that many eyes watching you so you can still kind of you know recover from it quite easily and um, i definitely think from a legal aspect like that's one of the most difficult aspects i guess is because obviously you don't you're not a lawyer you don't have legal training as to know what can, won't and will get you sued so you do have to kind of always err on the side of caution which i think is a good thing in general for journalism of like it forces you to really really be sure that whatever you are writing you can 100 percent stand against and be like okay i, I know i have proof um that like if someone is going to question me like where do you find this out well here's how i know this um so I think in that aspect, it's like a really, really important moment for, for your journalism career. And I also, I think um, in terms of building up sources and just learning how to talk to people and communicate with people, so I, I think like I would never have ever pretty much used a phone to like actually phone people before college. Um, because then, you know, you're just kind of forced to realize, okay, like some people, it's just, it's not convenient to me for my schedule. I need to phone them. And I think a lot of people in our generation, they have this kind of like phone call anxiety for some reason. It just kind of forces you to get over it and get out of your comfort zone. Yeah, yeah, that's a really interesting point, actually. Sorry to cut you off, Jamie. That's really interesting on making the phone call, um, especially for our generation, because, of course, we're so used to texting. And I know even when we started kind of, you know, doing little stories in first year, we'd send emails to people that would want comment from. But, of course, picking up the phone is by far the easiest way to get a hold of them. I remember... Um... When I first started writing with the College View in first year, I was covering a story before I had even gone to any of my lectures. And it was about um, shite night being changed to devotion. And I went into Newbar to talk to the manager and I was absolutely petrified. Just didn't even yeah. know that I should maybe use my phone to record it. I was just standing there like a little stereotypical sort of reporter's notebook. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, oh my God, thank you so much. That's for, oh, really? Wow, thank you. Oh my God. But yeah. yeah, looking back on it, that's definitely probably one of the best ways to, you know, sort of get your, your, get your act together, learn what you need to do by doing it. I mean, it's always good to go off and, and try and, like what you would have done there. I don't know if you, if, I don't know if you arranged to meet the person at Newbar, but if you just kind of rocked up and announced, that's kind of called doorstepping somebody, right? Um, and there's all kinds of obviously doorsteps you know you can doorstep John Delaney at his house if you want you know it doesn't mean that you'll get very far but um, yeah I think I think sometimes student journalists are a bit cautious and they are a bit scared to pick up the phone and to actually talk and maybe that is because we are digital natives you know maybe that's not necessarily their fault um, but it's interesting you know how that's how that's changed now and, and kind of on um, the flip side though sorry to interrupt you no, like, on the flip side when you're talking to sometimes you want to interview a lot of people our age, I find that like they're almost like incredibly cautious. They're very reluctant a lot of the times, and they they almost don't want to have a phone call. Like they almost prefer to just text you everything they want to say. Which obviously once you get into the routine of calling people, you just realize how much better it is and how like more openly and honest people generally speak anyway. If you're obviously you know face to face or over the phone, so it, you know it is. It's, I don't know. It's kind of a hurdle. It's, it's weird to try and coax people out of that. Did you guys notice that your your time with the Cottage View, did that help uh, with your CVs much when you were going around looking for jobs initially? I, I can't speak for Gabby, but, you know, obviously I was in a more difficult position in terms of having to look for a job while a pandemic was also um, ensuing, which kind of added this extra challenge. And I definitely think having the Cottage View on my CV, you know, from the few interviews I did have in the, in the interim, it did seem like it was definitely always like the focal point of interest in terms of it always like asked me um, 
you know, what exactly my involvement was and what kind of things I would have learned from them, what, what were the most important stories I did. And I think that's because more than anything, you know, obviously, if you have an interview with these places, like they know you're a novice and uh, they know that you don't have a ton of experience. But they want to know what type of experience you do have. Um, and if you do have like any kind of back knowledge anyway, it's, it is kind of a risk to take people on and particularly during a pandemic. So I guess they want to make sure that you're at least semi-competent. And I think if you have at least some type of training working in some kind of student publication, it shows that, okay, at least I have like a general idea of how this works. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'm glad to hear that the, all the hours I've been putting in as a deputy news editor haven't been a complete waste. Um, <laughs> you mentioned uh, COVID there and how it's just changed a lot of things about the about just daily work. Like, Gabia, you started uh, working with The Independent before the whole lockdown situation happened. Did you notice like a big change in sort of the way things were done day to day? Yeah, um, so I suppose lockdown fell um, at the same time as we established uh, what we now call the fast desk, um, which is basically a breaking news desk. Um, so, I mean, the Irish Independent over the past 10 years, I suppose, just like any other publication has been going through a lot of changes and then it's been changing over from being print focused to more of a digital first strategy. And last year it was, the company was bought by um, Belgian media company, Media House. And, you know, their digital strat, you know, I mean, Peter Vandermeer, who's our publisher has been very vocal in saying that we didn't have a digital strategy, you know, when he came in last summer, summer 2019, so the fast desk is something that they have over in Holland, which is where he used to be the editor-in-chief of a paper called NRC. And that was something that they really wanted to bring over here. Um, it just kind of was a big coincidence that my job changed as the lockdown set in. So <clears throat> I suppose literally as we, obviously the newsroom left the office, which is a really, really big change as it is. But I was put from my usual report, like my 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 de typical day as a reporter before the pandemic would have been and before the fast test would have been, I'm going to press conferences, I'm going to, you know, doorstep politicians. Um, if there's annual reports being launched, that's where I'm going. If there's a protest, that's, you know, everyday sort of markings is what we call them. Um, and when the fast test was put in place, there was three sort of younger reporters at the, at the Irish Independent uh, who, you know, we were very much, we were very familiar with online and independent.ie. And so we were put on the fast desk, all of us, which was convenient for the first lockdown. Um, so literally, as we went home, it just became sort of like a desk job. You know, you have set shifts and you just do breaking news. So, you know, if there's a murder, that's your story. If there's a car crash, that's your story. If the latest homelessness figures come out and they're higher than ever, that's your story. Um, so I've, I've recently I've been kind of coming back off the fast desk and, and out and about reporting again, which is difficult, of course, with the second level five lockdown. Um, so th the job definitely did change in that it became more desk based. And I think all reporters don't just that across the board, you know, in that you were suddenly at home a lot more and you're not out and about anymore. And there's no press conferences really apart from the daily COVID briefing. And you can watch that on RT, you know, you don't need to necessarily go there. So it was a big change, but not in maybe the way that you'd expect. It was because we had some sort of inner structural changes. On a bit of a lighter note compared to the current pandemic, um, do you guys have any stories of like mistakes or just kind of goofs that you guys made when you were 
starting out in your early days, you know, when you weren't as old and wise as you as you are now? I suppose just things that you just kind of learn, like the Garda Press Office, I don't know if you've dealt with them much, but they're prolific for just being very difficult to talk to, especially if they don't know you. Um, I've gotten to know some of them in the Garda Press Office. I've actually been in the Garda Press Office now, which I'm so proud to say. I've been to Phoenix Park, I've been to Garda HQ, and I've been in the actual office. So, you know, um, I, 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 I've gotten, you know, I've made my peace with them now, so to speak. But, you know, sometimes you ask some questions and they're like, what? You know, like they can tell that you kind of maybe don't really know what you're doing. I, I mean, I think kind of, in, I don't have a specific story, but I think definitely in terms of the press office thing, that's like a big learning experience that um before i think i would just send things to the press office and they're like okay yeah they'll get back to me eventually but like you really just have to give them an actual deadline and say yo get back to me by this time or else they're just not going to care and uh, obviously you always have that uphill battle in like a student publication anyway but i think uh they're just gonna obviously put you by the wayside because they know not many people are gonna see it so it's not that insensitive to really get their message out anyway um so that that was a big thing it's like a lot of times you just send off emails and you'd be like, why haven't they responded to me? It's just like, because you've given like, no incentive for them to actually get back to you. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I also think that there's, in terms of legal issues, I think if you were pulled together a big list of all the, all the stories of all the ideas that I've maybe had, and then I'll go speak to our legal manager and he'll just look at me like I'm crazy. I mean, the list must be miles long, you know? Um, I used to always drop into his office and I would just say, I have this idea or I have this or could we do something around this? And he'd always look at me like I have two heads. Don't have him, don't have him sitting in the corner of my room. But um, so it can be a little bit more difficult sometimes. But um, so even for example, I mean, here's to give you a very, a very live example, you know, a very live story is the Carlo Presentation College and the, the, the now infamous assemblies they had last Friday. So there's been a lot reported about that. But like, if you think about what the story is, so, you know, what were these um, what were these girls told at the assembly that you're not allowed to wear leggings? But then there was also comments made about staff of the school. So if you're thinking about that, you know, there are things that were told to a lot of maybe 15, 16, 17 year olds. And then they went home and then they told their parents. And if the reporter is lucky, they might get some of these parents, but they're already taking secondhand information. So you have to kind of think yourself, okay, if I'm actually going to print certain things, you know, is this 100% and is this legit? And I think we've seen, you know, there was stuff that was flying around social media yesterday. I think we've seen a lot of news publications say I'm really pared back on it. And we did as well last night um, before even publishing the story. Because sometimes you just have to triple check that what you know is correct. And I think editors, especially when you're new, you know, they'll really try and push you and, and uh, they just want, want to be extra careful. So it's, you know, that's a good thing though, of course. And um, yeah. I actually kind of have a, a slightly small story as well. But one thing that I think a lot of journalists kind of make mistakes with is, is numbers. Um, and I had like a slight problem. I won't get into the exact story, but basically I had said that something had doubled. Oh, tell us. I want a bit of entertainment. <laughs> I think I had said, yeah, I said the price of some student accommodation thing had doubled when really it had gone up by 50%, which is not actually the same thing. <laughs> And, and I remember she had when that I received... exact same issue last year. Yeah, I think what, what... same story last year. <laughs> it doubled and it got up by fifty percent. And yeah. then then I got the email from the person being like, "This is incorrect," and I was so like at first so like indignant about it. I was like, "No, this is correct. This is one hundred percent 
correct. I can't believe they would have the audacity to send me this. They're just trying to save themselves. How how rude. And then, of course, I was talking about it with someone else, and then they said it. And it's that moment where you're like, you know, your, your pride kind of like falls to the side because you're like, oh, you feel like, oh, like it's so embarrassing. I'm like, I can't believe I was like, I'm so right about this. And then you're actually just totally wrong. You, you published the story, did you? Yes. <laughs> Unfortunately. It wasn't a big so, problem, though, thankfully. They, they didn't yeah. have, they were just okay. like, you just correct it. I had the exact same, like I said, gaffe, but it was it was before we even when before we even went to print and my editor caught it and he was like, so it's gone up by fifty and I remember I was just like, Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they typical... should teach maths at DCU as well. You know, that would yeah. happen. It's such a typical like journalist thing, like, ah, oh, I work with words, yeah. not numbers. Don't try to yeah. get me to get it right. <laughs> <laughs> so what would you guys say is like your the story you're most proud of that you guys have worked on either with the independent or like as a student and um, well at least with like the independent obviously i've only been there a short while but you know i've done a few stories now which have basically you know the extent of it is like i just kind of ring up a bunch of businesses and ask them about whatever kind of usually something like how they're being affected by covid to some extent one way or another um, and i really do like writing those stories you know these are just like actual human beings i'm talking to they don't have an ulterior motive. They're not trying to like put out a press statement or something. You know, they're just telling me honestly how they're trying to get on, how they're trying to cope, actually making money with the pandemic. And I guess it, it feels nice to actually be able to put what they're saying out there. And also, you know, is that added thing of like, it feels like more work as well, because especially since so many places are closed now, you know, it's like, if I was doing a story about like hairdressers yesterday. It's like, you might have to call 15 hairdressers before you get even like one to actually pick up the phone. And then you have to hope that that one also wants to talk to you. So when you do finally get someone, you feel like there's more reward for alpha rather than like, oh, okay, I'm doing some story about some company and here's their press release. Um, and, and, you know, you're just kind of writing that up basically. And with the College View, I would say one of the stories I'm more proud of would be um, a feature I did was actually helped by Gabia, um, which was on the LGBT Brazilian population in Ireland. Uh, just because... You know, I had heard, I went to some trans pride uh, in July of 2018, and someone had said some stats about how like 30% of like, Brazilian Ireland were LGBT. And I thought that was ridiculously high. How have I not like heard, you know, more things about this? Or, and I don't know, it was just kind of interesting to try and see if there was any kind of reasoning for the phenomenon. Ultimately, I don't think it actually did come to any real conclusion as to why it's like this. It just kind of seems to be a mix of reasons between like our visa processes, and just kind of how we're generally a more progressive country now, I guess. But yeah, it felt like it was felt like something that hadn't really been reported on that much. So I felt a bit original, and you know, I still have that human element, which I really, really like to do in stories. So I guess yeah, they would say those kinds of things. I remember that story. It was a very good story. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, I, I think uh, I think Jamie, even when you contacted me, I think you really laid down the law um, <laughs> in, in the stuff that you've read. Uh, so in college, yeah, it was. I mean, it was a hundred percent a series that I did on student sex workers called Risky Business. Um, looking back on it now, there would have been things that I would have done differently, but I was very happy with being able to even, you know, pull it out of the bag, you know, to have a, th a three-part series on one issue. Um, I think I went in, into a good bit of depth. Um, I interviewed some very interesting people, including a trans um, sex worker. Um, and I think in terms of the Irish Independent, um, I did, I have looked at student accommodation a lot. Um, last last summer, I had um, a series of, of of stories that were from Page News about how every single uh, university hiked rents 
for the coming academic year took a lot of time for me to do. It was a survey that I conducted. I was still relatively new at the company as well. Um, and I was actually a follow, I did a follow up on that even a couple of months ago as we, as we started the academic year. But another story that I was very happy to do, or not very happy to do, but it was a story, it was a story that will stay with me for a very long time because it shook me a lot to my core. And that was um, the shooting of uh, Guarded Detective Colm Horkin in Castlery in County Roscommon on, in June, um, because it's, it's where I'm from. I was, I was home at the time for the lockdown and I, you know, I managed to get on the scene within, you know, maybe two hours. It was a un unbelievable story for a couple of days and I covered the funeral um, and, and the re local reaction. And, you know, that's a huge, huge story that's now cemented in my hometown for forever. And I'll always remember that, you know, it's one of those things that will always stay with me, I think. Wow, that's incredible. That must have been the momentous moment where you're just like, wow, I'm actually doing some, you know, real important stuff. Um, it's kind of interesting that we all more or less spoke about like features there, which is because I don't know, I feel like because when you're so used to writing news and there's like a little bit of a learning curve when it comes to sort of writing a feature and then you have to kind of put your own sort of creative flair to it. You just feel a bit more accomplished when you write a feature that you're just happy with. Like I would even say for myself, like, um, you know, one of the stories I'm most proud of is um, the former ex-chairperson of uh, the Young Greens she came forward to talk about uh, sexual harassment within the party. And uh, I was lucky enough to be able to interview her recently. I love when you just talk to someone that's just very well-spoken and they just, you hear them speak and you're like, oh, this is brilliant. I just already know this is gonna be a very good read. I got someone so interesting to write my first feature about. And um, yeah, it's coming out in the College View today, actually. So I'm gonna shout that out real quick. <laughs> yeah, well done on getting her because yeah. I try to get her as well. <laughs> Did it work out? No, I, I, I think I sent her a DM, maybe there's a better way to contact her, but I sent her a DM and then she went private. So I'm looking oh. forward to the story. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I think it's kind of why those features stick with you anyways, because obviously, you know, it's usually people telling you something that's more personal to them anyway, that obviously they're not just, it takes a little bit of courage, I guess, for them to say it. So you feel, I guess, privileged, I suppose. I don't know if that's the right word in terms of like that they would um, be willing to talk to you about something like that. So it does kind of stick with you. Yeah, definitely. I feel like it's just, you get people opening up more to you when you're doing that kind of thing. And it just, you know, feels good. Yeah, that's, a real, that's a real scoop. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, why I, that's why I recorded this podcast, just to get all the praise from you guys. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of which, um, do you have any advice for, you know, young journalism students like me, how we could maybe go about succeeding getting our name out there despite uh, all the sort of havoc that COVID is causing on like degrees and placements and that type of thing? Well, I'll go first just because I feel like Gabby will probably have uh, better advice than I do, but um, I, I just don't think I'm that qualified to really give out advice. But I would suppose, um, particularly in terms of like just the pandemic, it's just like, just apply for like literally anything. It doesn't matter if it says like five years, like whatever, like you don't know what they'll say to you at the end of the day. And you know, sure, you might get an interview and you might know in your heart that you're not going to get the job. But even having that experience of knowing what they're actually looking for in the interview and what type of questions you'll be asked. And it'll make you next, less nervous the next time you have one. And also, you know, they'll see your face, they'll recognize your name. If you have a distinctive name, like myself and Gabby do, then they'll definitely remember it next time they see it. <laughs> so 
I, I think, yeah, I think it's just to kind of go for every opportunity you can because you're not really, like, above anything. I think that's also important to think. Is, like, it's very easy to, like, give yourself your own ego and be like, I would never do this or I would never do that. But at the end of the day, if you kind of want to actually, like, make money doing this, to a certain extent, you have to be like, okay, I'm going to put this self aside and I'm going to write about, you know, some Irish celebrity I've never heard of. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, at the end of the day, someone wants to read that. Brendan probably has more of an insight because he's actually gotten a job during COVID because that's going to be a real challenge for him. I mean, I thought, yeah, I think it was definitely very hard to find um, a job. I, I still don't really know what the best place to look for a job is, whether it's like Indeed. I, I think, you know, at the time, I literally had like pretty much every like news organization's like career tab on their own website as a bookmark. And like every day I would just pretty much open it up and see if there's anything that I could actually realistically get. Um, and like even the internship I had here, like you don't, like this is why I'm saying like go for every opportunity you can because you don't know where that could take you. Like, so I actually interviewed for a job originally at the Sunday World because uh, they were starting up a web, uh, they were bringing back their website and basically they wanted more people to write online content for them. And so, you know, I just went for that job and ultimately obviously I didn't get it. But they said they just really liked me in the interview, so they recommended me to people in IM, and that's how I got started here at the internship. Um, so if like if I didn't go for that job in Sunday World, then I would never gotten this. And I think some people, you know, with obviously the Sunday World or tabloid type of paper, um, and definitely think there's some attitudes of some people who are like, I will never work for tabloid. Um, but at the end of the day, like there's plenty of good journalism in tabloid papers. So that's why I would say just literally any opportunity you see, go for it. Obviously, the, the biggest and hardest thing is, does it pay? And I think that's a big question for a lot of young journalists is like, you want to work, but you want to work for like actual money. It is unfortunate that I think that some people, they just can't take every opportunity because they, they're not in a position where they can, you know, leave their part-time job to go also work, you know, 30 hours a week for maybe nothing for like three months in the hope that they'll get a job afterwards. So I don't know why yeah. I ended up that, on that side note, but. <laughs> yeah true though yeah no that's good advice and i would i'd echo a lot of that um and i really cannot overemphasize the importance of getting to know other journalists in your industry you know don't don't ever 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 have an attitude of i don't like them because of a story that they wrote or I don't need them or, you know, never have that attitude ever. I think anybody who's a working journalist to a student journalist can be of invaluable help because that certainly was the case with me when it came to the Irish Independent, you know, um, the, the political correspondent there at the time, or well, one of the Polcors at the time, there was Laura Larkin, who's from Castlery. And if it wasn't for me deciding to profile her for uh, a Kevin Rafter uh, lecture you know I and I reached out to her and I said can I interview you can we go for a coffee and she agreed and she said look I'll, I'll put in a good word for you if you ever want to do a few weekends or whatever with us and if it wasn't for her and then I think Rachel Farrell was also brilliant who's, who's one of our audience editors she was a year she was a, a year ahead of me in college and um, you know I also asked her what's the best person to reach out to to do some of this work you know you cannot I cannot overemphasize how important it is to get to know the other journalists in in, in a place where you want to work um, and who are your age, who are older than you, who are younger than you, and, and try and make friends with them and try to make connections that way because 
you know, they can give you stories, they can give you pointers, they can give you help, they can give you someone's email and maybe maybe they have a, a contact or a source who's going to absolutely save your day, you know, if you're stuck. So yeah, I really, I mean, and that's why I, love, I miss the newsroom so much, especially working from home because I love having the chats with everybody and I love seeing journalists working. You know, it's, it's, the, it's just so exciting. Like, for, so the Sunday World, for example, and the Irish Independent, the Sunday Independent were all in this one big merger of a newsroom. And whenever I walk by this, the Sunday World, you know, they're like a little family. They're always having the crack. They're always joking around. You know, you see Patrick O'Connell, who's just one crime journalist of the year. You know, he's about to head out and doorstep somebody who's got, been convicted for you know, peeping through someone's windows or, you know, and it's going to be a great read on Sunday. Or you walk by the Sunday Independent and you see Neve Horan and you know she's writing like some comment piece that's going to, you know, get Twitter fired up on a sad, on, on the weekend. You know, you, you walk by even our desks, you see, you know, the Paul Corps on the phone and you just know they're talking to a minister. You know, and it's just, yeah, that's maybe that's just me being a, a, a big... I don't know journalist heard, but it like I love that you know and, and there's nothing that there's nothing can nothing that compares to it I don't know that's a bit, that's a bit, that's a bit much but yeah <laughs> no that's that sounds brilliant I can't wait to hopefully be in that place myself so great note to end the podcast on just talking about how much a journalism nerd you are how much of a journalism nerd we all are um, that's really useful. Thanks so much, guys. Um, no brilliant advice. Thanks for going, you know, on the record, so to speak. No Very insightful. It's our, it's our privilege. Yeah. <laughs> Great advice there from Brendan and Gabby. Go for every job you can. Network like there's no tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rough Draft podcast and stay tuned. Yeah.